Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Redefine Radio on the Face Radio. I am your host, Freddie Cosmo, the Disco Prince of New York. On today's episode, we'll chat about how nightlife and theater continue to collide with our special guests, Time Out Magazine theater critic Adam Feldman. Now that it's officially fall, we'll talk about some great staycation destinations in upstate New York for those of you looking to get away. Holiday markets have an official opening date in New York. More on that later. And finally, we talk about quiet quitting, the trend that's been hitting the workforce over the past few months. And I'll give you some of my thoughts on that one. That should be really, really, it's been really, really interesting to learn what quiet quitting is. So looking forward to talking about that a little later. Plus, music from some of your favorite emerging artists in queer nightlife. So grab your pumpkin spice and settle in. I'm here to bust your midweek blues. It's Redefine Radio, and it starts right now. Girl, this is crazy. I can't 
dance on me, dance on me. Bring it back, baby, just dance on me. Brought your heels to the party, ain't here to hurt nobody. I'm an old soul and I rock gold and I got scooped in a Rari. But I'm a bad boy and you know it's no boyfriends allowed to the party. Dick ain't vicious, demolition nigga with the bitches. Fake fat ass with the tinges, goddamn pimpin'. Any other nigga wanna hit this, he gon' have to pay for them titties. Take old bitties, yes, love. Can a young nigga hit that hook? Can a young nigga do something better about the stuff I was trapping just to get that dope? Shit, this cool, and you so fine, you so fine, I eat behind between your legs and those jeans. Take those off, now watch you spread. You so special, it's so pink, slightly hairy and don't stink. Lord, I thank you for this good food that I'm happy to receive. She got that. You know I want you, baby, dog. Ain't no one else above your baby. I swear, I swear, yeah. Baby, I need you. I want you. Through the way that I sit and stand 
start to pick at the rips in my Nikes. You quote Tom York and lean in for a quick kiss, but still you just won't admit that you like me. Watching you lower both your eyes, it hurts when you know it's over. Still too stubborn to show that you can. Go your own 
Monday. Don't be trapped by a structure that needs you to be unsafe. Fortify the vibe like bitch if you don't get out of my face. Let your road to ascension see through every dimension. May you lose your contention and then groove into intention. May you realize with ease there is no complex to create. May the real lies you plead become the wrong flex to conflate. Escape. Wave is never stopping. Inside your cockpit, flowing to your cosmic. Never win a day, love is no time for logic. Happy made of thunder, or full of wonder. Shining to your sunburn. How much can you unlearn?
somebody who changes my mind they come along i won't think twice cause i already got a good thing It's never too soon to be gearing up for the holiday season. And right before Labor Day, Time Out Magazine released its list of holiday markets along with dates and locations here in New York City. So here's the following dates. They're from Urban Space and there's four holiday markets. The first one is Union Square Holiday Market. We all know that that's a really, really big one. It basically consumes the entire square, (laughs) the entire like 14th Street to 16th Street block, whatever that is over there. And that's happening November 17th to December 24th. That's right off the L train stop. There's also the NRW and the 456 runs down there as well. There's the Holiday Shops at Bryant Park, another huge one, you know, that happens Right off the side of the skating rink. The skating rink is a New York, the ice skating rink, which is like a New York staple here in New York. They usually have a lot, a lot of really, really artisanal stuff up there. It can be a little pricey um, and definitely super touristy, but you can find a lot of really cool gifts. So the holiday shops at Bryant Park happens October 27th till January 2nd, okay? Just up a little bit more north, you can check out the Columbus Circle Holiday Market. I'm not actually sure where this one is. I got to be honest with you. You know the shops at Columbus Circle where they have all those really highfalutin stores and the Whole Foods on the bottom floor. I assume it's going to be somewhere around there. I'm not, I, I never get a chance to check out Columbus Circle around the holiday season. For whatever reason, I'm usually a little bit further downtown. But if you're around, Central Park is right there, by the way. So you can also go shopping and go for a nice walk. There's always places to eat. That happens November 28th, right after Thanksgiving, to December 24th, which is Christmas Eve. So that's a bit of a shorter one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, a bit shorter than the other two. If you are actually in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Borough Hall Holiday Market happens pretty much around the same time. That's November 28th to December 26th. So Borough Hall is really, really close to downtown Brooklyn. You walk just a little bit, a few blocks away, and you have the Shake Shack, and then you have the Fulton Street Mall with, you know, your basic mall fare. I think there's an H&M and a bunch of other little shops and things like that. But at any rate, the Brooklyn Borough Hall Holiday Market is November 28th to December 26th. It's really interesting that these end either the day before Christmas or the day after Christmas. You'd think they'd sort of be open at least until January 3rd. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I also, I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. I really like to shop after the holidays because that's when you get, that's when all the best deals are. 
But I guess for holiday markets, it's a little bit different. Like, they're not going to have markdown prices at some of these vendors, you know. A lot of these, a lot of these vendors, a lot of these products are literally homemade, handcrafted situations. There's a ton of jewelry, there's art, there's all types of things. So, you know, definitely check those out if you are here in the city. And if you're looking for a quick trip out of the city and don't want to go too far away, Travel and Leisure has a list of the 20 best places to visit in upstate New York. Now, I'm not going to read all 20. It's only a two-hour show. But I am going to give you a few off of the list for now, okay? So amongst the list, we have the Letchworth State Park, which features, quote, camera-ready waterfalls, great for Instagram, and an autism nature trail. That's super-duper interesting. Letchworth State Park is known as the Niagara Falls of the East. Next, we have the Jamestown, which hosts the National Comedy Center, which is the first museum dedicated to the art of comedy, and the hometown of Lucille Ball. Seneca Falls made the list. It's also known for its Finger Lake Wine Trails and the Women's Rights National Historic Park. Well, you had me at wine, as always. That's an actual wine trail. Like, it's a, you walk the trail, I think, and you drink wine. So, sounds like a winner's game to me. Other locations include Lake George, Ithaca, Thousand Islands, and of course, Niagara Falls. Is this the same Thousand Islands as like the dressing? Because isn't there an actual Hidden Valley ranch, like for ranch dressing? Is this, the, is this what that is? I've got some Googling to do later. You can check out the complete list over at travelandleisure.com. Okay, so this is the story we've been waiting for. As the labor force in America continues to mold, change, and redefine itself due to the pandemic, you've probably heard about the recent trend amongst millennials and Gen Z called quiet quitting. Now, this is the only time you'll hear me quote The Shade Room, but this article was actually super put together and not messy, which is what The Shade Room is known for. I'm not being shady. That's just literally what The Shade Room is. Here's a quote. Despite its name, quiet quitting doesn't actually involve quitting at all. Instead, it essentially means no longer going above and beyond at your job and only doing what you are required to do, end quote. See, I have a problem with this phrase. I really, really do. And I'm sort of wondering about its origin story because according to that quote, you're not actually quitting anything. You're actually just doing your job. The job that you agreed to do and that you agreed to get paid for, right? Your employer agreed to pay. Like you go to a job, there's certain tasks that you are assigned and it's understood in confidence, right? So you're not, no one's actually quitting anything. It kind of sucks because this is a, a product of what I call pull yourself up by your hustle culture, right? Because we are so conditioned now to be doing three and four jobs while getting paid for one job that it seems like we're quitting if we're actually just doing our job. See, I haven't been a fan. Maybe that's why it took so long to talk about this. This has been a story for a while, for at least a couple of months. And I've always wanted to talk about it, but, you know, we had a lot, a lot of things to get through. I have another quote. According to a recent survey conducted by Resume Builder, close to 25% of workers between the ages of 35 to 44 revealed they would likely practice quiet quitting. 
Heightened by the pandemic, the strive for work-life balance is of higher importance than ever, as many workers no longer want to give their all to their job at the expense of their personal lives. Bitch, who you telling? We've never wanted to give up our personal lives. We were just convinced that it was the right thing to do. Now everybody's just realizing the juice ain't worth the squeeze. It's not really quiet quitting. It's quietly doing the job that you're actually getting paid to do. (sighs) I'm really, really curious where in the social stratosphere this phrase kind of manifested because it's it's not it's not a very accurate phrase and that's troubling because when it's inaccurate it can be utilized you know as a weapon I think people are rejecting the decades-long idea that continuous hustling guarantees you you know a comeuppance a promotion more money I've been saying this People who work hard beget hard work, not always results, okay? Because if you're at a job, and I've seen this happen, if you're at a job and you're working hard and you're going the extra mile, whatever, here in capitalist America, which is where I live, people don't want to reward you for being a hard worker. They just want to exploit you for it. It's the truth. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've lived it unknowingly and unwittingly moral of the story as I always say act your wage not your excellence act your wage at work not your excellence if something is going wrong but it's outside of your scope of employment it's just going to have to go wrong wage workers especially we know with these companies that are we got people making millions and billions a day or whatever some crazy shit should not be putting out fires should not be putting out fires it's that's ridiculous so anyway that's my thoughts on that that's the news for now we still got a lot more show left stay tuned it's redefined radio on the face radio.com
have some friends like me Gentrified and educated Giving you sweet and sticky like cotton candy
begins all I got You know it's real The whole world's turning round But you could make it stop Talking around town 
everybody just knows what you said to me Say it to my face, come to with integrity You turn me up, you turn me down You're talking around, you're going around I'm feeling lost tonight I can't
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Redefine Radio on the Face Radio. I am your host, Freddie Cosmo, the Disco Prince of New York. My special guest today is the president of the New York Drama Critics Circle, the chief drama editor and theater and dance editor for Time Out Magazine, and a nightlife staple, of course, someone who has known me for, well, since the beginning, the beginning of my journey, really, right? Since Please welcome Adam Feldman. <laughs> Hello. Uh, happy to be here. You are the... <laughs> Wow, I am the like the lady in waiting of New York nightlife. <laughs> a, Not a really lady a prince. in waiting. Yeah, or like a, a guy in waiting. I don't know if there's is there a, a courtier. I don't know what that means, lady in waiting. Oh, it's, those are the those are the ladies who attended on the princesses and the queens and the royal courts. Oh, 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 yes. I guess that's. A, I don't know. I don't know how I would describe how I would describe you because you. I don't know. Like, a, 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 I don't know how even how to pronounce that. Vizier. <laughs> what are those, <laughs> what are you, those wear like, of, you wear a lot of hats i um, do wear a lot of hats. so it's sort of i don't know what that what that would be inside of the court like what role you would play uh, a, a, an advisor a shadowy yeah. advisor a royal advisor yeah. of, of sorts um speaking of advising being an advisor i want to talk a little bit about our backstory and how you met me because as i was saying you've known me literally since i i think like the first day i stepped foot in the Stonewall Inn 10 and a half years ago, I think. Wow. <laughs> Those, that, that whole period blurs together for me for various <laughs> reasons that we needn't go into. Uh, but, you know, I was uh, judging a, a vocal contest at the time called Stonewall Sensation. Yes. Uh, where, where numerous talented singers came to compete for the, well, greatly sought after title of Stonewall Sensation. Right. A sort of right. an American Idol thing, but uh, a few generations removed. Uh, you, you, you were, you were one of the judges. Did you, were you, were you judging from start to finish? Cause it just, I didn't like, judge, I think the first two seasons of it. And then I judged the next, uh, whatever there were eight or nine. Seasons. So I, I did it for, we did about two years. So I did it for many years and that was every, Tuesday night or something like Wednesday night. Right, right. Um, yeah. I think as far as the format goes, I, if I'm wrong, please correct, but you were sort of the, you were sort of there to be sort of the Simon Cowell. Of, yeah, I was the Simon. 
Yeah, yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. Oh, you had some good advice. You had good things to say. It well, I tried, and it, you know, it's a tricky scenario to be judging people in a public space like that. Uh, it's difficult for them to be judged. They've worked really hard. They've put in a lot of time. Their friends are there to support them, and you know, it, it, a lot of the time. And it took some time to learn this for me because mm -hmm. the first season I was there, I was just thinking, oh, I'm going to say witty things and I'm going to show how smart I am. It, it turns out that's not necessarily the best way to help people because people, of course, get their um, backs up when you comforted that way in public. And so I gradually learned, it was a learning curve for me too. I learned how to be uh, better at delivering my constructive criticisms and how to how to pad that criticism within some complementary things to the whole tone encouraging and you know uh, it was a journey it was great fun right yeah i think it was fun for 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 most of us for sure i mean i it, it definitely changed my life and and put me on a on a on a on a path that has i mean i i just got so so much out of it um i take full credit for that i i <laughs> i know that's what you were sort of getting Obviously, at. and i want to say yes i i do take full this credit. is actually not an, an interview it's just that <laughs> i just missed you and i just wanted to talk about how great you are. Obviously. And I just wanted to say, you're welcome. <laughs> How long have you been um, with, the, with the Time Out family? I have been there for a very long time. I have been there since 2003. So I, uh, it's uh, 19 years almost now. And that is a tremendously long time. I was but a youth when I began there. And I, I, I didn't really anticipate that I would stay there for two decades, but here we are. And so far I'm, I'm still there. Uh, I, I think I'm the longest serving employee at Time Out, at least on the American side. So yeah. certainly on the editorial side. So it's, it's fun, but you know, as a critic, I think there is a certain value to sticking around. You mm. have some experience, not that they're, you know, I, I, I read my old reviews and I think they're, you know, some of them are really great fun and, and they have a certain youthful perspective, etc. I have a slightly less youthful perspective now just because I've seen so much and right. I am myself slightly less youthful. Are there any moments in what working at Time Out? I'm sure you've seen countless shows, countless events. Is there anything that like really, really sticks out in your mind? Well, there are many. You know, I, I, I try not to keep lists of such things because it becomes silly at a certain point once you've seen so much. There are just, I mean, I have seen hundreds of shows a year mm -hmm. for more than two decades. So mm -hmm. that's just, I can't retain all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't think that my job is necessarily to retain all of that. I, that would be insane. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you retain the highlights and the lowlights. Uh, and uh, there are things that I will look back on some things that I reviewed three years ago and barely remember them. And then there are some things that I saw years ago. I mean, certainly there are highlights. And, uh, has, I mean, anyone I, ever, has anyone ever, you don't have to say a name, but has anyone ever gotten like particularly nasty with you about a review that you did and they just got totally in their feelings? I'm just curious. Yeah, people tend not to do that. Sometimes people will write a late night letter perhaps having had a couple, you know, where they express their real feelings. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's not to anyone's advantage for them to do that because yeah. the review is already done and 
they're not good. All they really would stand to do is alienate or potentially alienate or think they might potentially alienate in the future if it work. Um, I think a lot of people pretend not to have read reviews actually do review reviews. Huh. And that's a, some people don't read them, genuinely don't read them, and that's a useful protective strategy for them. And some people wait until after it's closed or they're not in the show anymore to read their reviews out of curiosity and career interest. Some people read them and pretend not to have read them, especially for, uh, for public confidence purposes. Right. Um, but you we know, get that we didn't get that luxury when you're judging us, right? No, no, you didn't. <laughs> Although I would, I, I would say there's a lot that I don't say, even in my negative reviews. There, I have lines about what I will and won't say. Yeah. Uh, certainly in print and even at Stonewall Cessation. And I, which, if you remember, I would stay at Stonewall Cessation for a long time afterwards. And I would say if there's something that I said on stage in my yeah. three or four sentences that wasn't clear to you, right? I would be I would be happy to explain it to you at length where I'm coming. From. Which was which was wildly helpful, I think, because that's you know it's hard to give. I I know you recognize it's hard to give feedback. There's three judges. There's sometimes ten or twelve singers in a night, mm -hmm. or you know six or seven people doing two songs. You can't get every single note in that little you know inside of that the the, the segment or the show. No, you really can't. And also, you're not receptive to notes in that moment. You're exhausted right. from just performing. Your mm -hmm. your nerves are all there. Your vanity mm -hmm. is right on the line, and. Your first reaction, my first reaction, certainly when I'm criticized in public, is to say, "Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's okay." <laughs> my first reaction is to say, "Gosh darn you!" <laughs> um, you don't know what you're talking about. That was great. Uh, so, are you, know, you are you involved in any of the of the current singing competition? You know, a lot of things have changed. Right, I have. I've done guest judging gigs. I haven't been doing it as regularly. Partly that's because my job has changed a bit at the magazine. There used to be two of us full time and a half time uh, for a while, uh, part time critic. Uh, plus we had intern. You know, I, I have a lot more to do. Right. Well, and tell, and, me, tell me your thoughts on this because my thoughts on singing competitions now, like I, I always champion that process because. Like I said, I got a lot out of it. I've seen a lot of other people flourish in many different ways and get confidence. Um, another one of my, I've made my closest friends in, you know, in Stonewall Sensations. And I've watched them get gigs and become, you know, professional singers because of um, partially the this experience that we went through. So I'm a little sad to see, I feel like singing competitions in nightlife have sort of fallen to the wayside a little. They're well, they certainly have in the past few years. I was actually uh, a judge on in a competition right before the pandemic shutdown happened, and that was a drag competition at Club Coming, and I was a regular judge panelist on that. Um, but then when the pandemic happened, it was ended and it hasn't restarted again. So yeah. I think that was interrupted, and, and I hope that it will restart because, and this is true of theater or any criticism generally, People get mad at criticism sometimes, and they think, who are you to judge? And I don't know who I am to judge. I mean, I mean, I think I'm doing the best job I can, and I think I do a good job, and people seem to like it. But it's not going to please all the people all the time, right. what I do. What they do is not going to please all the people all the time either. And that's important to remember, and I used to say this to a lot of singers at Stonewall, you know, 
if you do anything worth doing, there are going to be people who don't like it. And they're not always going to be the dumb people that you can brush off. Sometimes there will be smart people, interesting people, people whose opinions you respect, who don't happen to like it, whose thing it isn't, or who have an idea of what the art form is that this doesn't happen to conform to, or for whatever reason. Uh, the important thing is not to please everyone. You're never going to please everyone. Right. The important thing is to do something that you stand by, that you think represents you well, that you have worked on and that you're doing the best version of possible. And to make that possible, sometimes you have to listen to the people who don't 100% already love what you're doing. Right. And and that doesn't mean you have to do, you have to take their all their recommendations. It, it doesn't mean that. But listening to negative feedback can help you clarify what you believe in positively about your own work, even if you disagree with it, it helps you define yourself against what you're hearing. Uh, and in other cases, when there are things that you can do better, it helps you identify what those things are that you can work on right. and and make them better and become a better version of yourself. Yes. And that's and that's only talking about the negative criticism, which right. people tend to gravitate to, because oh. most of what I write actually is positive criticism. Right. Most yeah. of my job is seeing things that I like. Uh, and telling people about it. And that's a, the great part of my job, is yeah. getting to share exciting things with other people. There's a learning curve, and the, but it, for some reason, it's it's in our nature to, to just to just do that. It's something that we all, as artists and as people, have to work on. It's focusing, deciding what it, what part of you know a critique you want to focus on because it right. is and, and people gravitate what, people yeah. gravitate to the negative. And obviously, you know, I, I most of the reviews that I write are positive, and that's not accidental. I will sometimes spike reviews that I don't think are worth. Uh, complaining about in public because I don't think that the artists are ready for it or big enough for it. It's not worth time and effort. Um, so yeah. most of the reviews that I write, because Time Out, uh, generally the philosophy of Time Out is here are the best things in the city that you should be seeing, mm. not here's something to avoid necessarily. But sometimes, sometimes you have to do the avoiding thing in order to help people find the good things because the things that you're that you I think should avoid have a lot of publicity behind them. Or Money behind them, or a lot of apparent interest in the properties. It's an adaptation of an existing film. It stars an uh -huh. actor, etc. And you know, I don't want to send people to things that I don't think they're seeing. Well, that's the job. So I yeah. want to talk more about the city in a second. I do want to get your thoughts about this this past summer. But before I get into that, it's not just um, novice, you know, singers, new performers. What I loved about New York, and I realized over time, and um, there's a few places, but one place that sort of stood out was New World, um, when they used to do an open mic, um, not too too long ago, and I think that's I'm pretty sure that's discontinued. Yeah, I there that's there, an example, there but, are still places. Okay, so you can if you're, I've said this before and I'll say it a million times. The only way to get to to become a great performer is to perform, 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 perform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to get it in your bones, you have to get it in your muscles, you have to be not thinking about the choices when you're making uh, And the only way to get that comfort level is to, is to get up on stage in front of strangers, ideally, and work out what your over. version of your number is. <laughs> over and over again. Over and over and over again, and be willing to take big choices and have them not work, and but be alert to what's working in the moment for you and your body, and also in the audience. Right, and, the, and then, the, great, the great thing about the city is that it's it's not just not like I've gone 
to several open mics and seen, you know, Broadway performers up there either brushing up or just having a good time or whatever you want to call it. Right, um, so you can do that by yourself if you go to the duplex on any given night mm -hmm. or, you know, or Don't Tell Mama or- you know, I haven't uh, seen you at, well, duplex is closed right now, but I haven't been seeing you. I haven't gone yet. as much recently, uh, but I still go fairly often. I love that place. Uh, I go to Club Coming uh, on Monday nights. It's an open mic night, show tune night, and it's really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and also on Monday, if you want to have a slightly more uptown experience, there's Jim Caruso's cast party at Birdland, and that's still uh, a sign up open mic scenario, I think. Uh, it's great fun to get up and try new material. The What I love about Club Coming and the duplex is that people aren't always listening. <laughs> you know? It's a good experience. And sometimes sometimes it's because you're not great, and sometimes it's just because they have their own lives and you can't control them. So you know? this, <laughs> But it's a challenge. It helps yeah. you it helps it helps you refine your skills of, of collecting an audience's attention. Yes. We, we we don't we don't always people don't always think about the relationship between um, musical theater nightlife, and this is a part of it, going to places like Duplex and just singing a number, you know, something from your own book. I've done that before, like say you had an audition and I wanted to, you know, get it. And it's a good, it's good practice. And it's- Absolutely. And hiring an accompanist. So, and you know, you can have a drink after. It's not the worst thing in the world. Do you, how, what do you think of, the, of this relationship between, you know, theater and nightlife? Like well, there's a, there's a huge, it depends what you define as nightlife, and there's cabaret-type nightlife, and then there's, uh, you know, uh, bars, etc. cetera. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, kinds of nightlife. A lot of these places, the, the ones that I've always been drawn to in the nightlife are the ones that have performance elements, right. have live performance elements. Right. For me, that has always been the extra thing that you can get here that, that you don't get as many other places. And certainly there are a lot of places in the city still where you can go and you might not get musical theater, but you'll get a form of musical theater in the, in the form of, uh, of drag performances, which have a lot of musical theater elements increasingly yes. now. Uh, yeah. So there, you know, if you go to a playhouse or you go to pieces or, you know, or, or any number of other bars, you will be seeing people do musical theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I okay. love it. I think it's great because, you know, it gives a lot of these drag artists are, are heavy into theater and it's it's great to see them adapt and, and make things their own. I don't know if you know about um, uh, recently a group of POC queens. It was like Hibiscus and Katrina Love, but um, Lady Celestina got together and did sort of a, I don't think they knew how to exactly frame it, but it was, um, for lack of better words, a sort of parody of Six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was called Six-ish. Yeah. Um, and I think as of the time of this recording, they've sort of shelved it, but I understand that. It, I follow it on Instagram, and it looked like it did really well, so. Well, there's a lot of a lot of musical theater. If, if on the high end, uh, 54 Below features a lot of musical theater performers, both very well-established Broadway performers and uh, up-and-coming younger either performers or songwriters uh and you know the model for cabaret has changed a lot over the past few years as well there used to be in the bigger fancier supper club rooms there used to be long runs by very established performers now that those performers and those audiences have largely been supplanted uh there's a different model 
so you don't go and see, you know, Eartha Kitt for three weeks or Barbara Cook or Bobby Short for a month at Carlisle. You have these uh, one night affairs or two night yeah. runs or, you know, a one night a month for three months at 54 Below or at the Green Room 42 at the, uh, the What do you hotel think of that London. change? Did, did you, it, just your opinion, like, it's different. Well, the one one problem with it is that it tends to. This is the problem with the culture generally. But don't get me started. Right. Uh, we don't have as much of a of a shared culture as once we had for various reasons, and that has good aspects and bad aspects. Uh, but we don't. There aren't as many big stars that can attract a, a mass audience that doesn't ordinarily go to nightclubs. Instead, you have shorter runs because those people can't necessarily sell two weeks of a run at a supper club. They can sell one or two nights with the people who already know their work, uh, already love their work, want to support them. Uh, that's great, and I, I'm all in favor of it, but it is also increasingly insular to some extent, right? It's only people who already know about those artists and know to go I, to yeah. those artists. You know, there, there was a time when people would just go see whatever was playing at the Alma, you know, St. Regis or whatever the rooms were. And now it's not. It's more up to the artists to cultivate their own fan bases and get them to show up to these events. And um, that's just a shift. And then eventually, if you, you know, the word does travel and these right. events become more popular and uh, if, if, they're, if they're successful and they'll come back and be hired at the room and more people will see it and word of mouth still exists but it's, it's hard yeah it, it seems like it's a, been a bit of a and i say this as an artist who's sort of in that boat it's a slower burn to yep. get because you do you have to have the the numbers and the name like people aren't going just going out really yeah. like they once did just to explore Right, it's more of a it's more of a chosen destination. Yeah, uh, it's more LA than New York in that way. Like you have to know where you're going. You know, <laughs> more LA than New York. Yeah. yeah. So you, it's that. been a bit of a shift, mm -hmm. but uh, but I'm glad to see people have been predicting the death of cabaret spaces for ever, for as long as I you know have been seeing and writing about cabaret. Is that a thing, really? Well, yeah. People have been constantly fearing that cabaret itself as an art form will disappear. And I think that uh, that it hasn't happened. New places keep opening. 42 is, Green Room is uh, doing really well. The Birdland just opened its second space. You know, uh, unfortunately, the timing wasn't ideal, but it opened its second space uh, and has kept it open. And, you know, Don't Tell Mom is still here. But, you know, places come and go, and places right. have always come and gone. Mm -hmm. um, so Pangea is still there doing great stuff in yep. the East Village. Joe's Pub is still a first-rate destination for not just cabaret, but all sorts of, you know, wide variety of music uh, in a cabaret space. Mm -hmm. So it's very much alive. It's just harder to get people who are not already in it interested in it. Mm, that's interesting. I think that's why we need people like you to keep us up to date and informed about What's what and who's who in this town? That's that, that's part of the problem. Of that's part of the problem because there's you know as as media companies as legacy companies, uh, change and generally become smaller. Smaller arts coverage is one of the first things on the job. 
So I used to, one of my portfolios used to be cabaret editor. We don't really have a cabaret, we don't really have a music section. Right. Because the shows, the runs of the shows are too short. And the time that it takes to generate those listings is not worth it for most of the shows because they come and go so quickly. Wow. And, oh. you know, it was different a little bit when you have these longer runs and when we had more people on staff. Uh, wow. Now that I'm in, now that I'm in charge of theater myself and also dance, which I be, um, I have much less time for cabaret. I I still write cabaret listings when I can, when I have time, but it's not officially part of my portfolio anymore. I just do it when, when I you know. Is, is that something that that's being changed like around the pandemic or? Would no, you that was already that was already changing before, and you know before. the the times you know when the Times cabaret critic was also one of their film critics, Stephen Holden left, he wasn't replaced. So there's no one writing about it on a regular basis for, for the Times. Um, there's no one writing it on a regular basis for any of major sources. So wow. there might be people who will write, will do a write-up if there's a show special note or event, but cabaret criticism in non-cabaret publications has more or less disappeared. And that makes it much harder for artists to find audiences outside of yeah there's some there's some voids to fill um <clears throat> so adam we are almost out of time i just have one last question for you because i have to get on to the next one um so it's, it's been an interesting summer um i personally took it pretty easy on account of things like <sighs> monkeypox and you know the vaccine wasn't available as readily as i think a mm -hmm. lot of us would have liked it to be and it, really put a dent in my overall plans for, you know, going out and exploring things. We use, we utilize time out here all the time for your, you know, for literally the listings that you write and things to do and stuff like that. Um, all things considered, do you think that the city sort of got back to normal this past summer? I don't know what normal is now. Right. <laughs> um, Fair. That's, that's the truth. I think there's gonna be a general readjustment after the pandemic. I think the pandemic accelerated certain trends that were already happening in terms of people's habits of going out. Uh, and uh, overall, I think that's probably for the worst. But I think in a way, there's a reaction against it. Certainly immediately after the pandemic, a lot of people were very eager to go out and experience live mm -hmm. entertainment and be with other people. But then, you know, the COVID came back and then the monkeypox, there's always sort of something and now we're acutely sensitive to all of those yeah. issues in a way that we weren't before. So yeah. um, I hope that everything goes back. I would encourage everyone to go out as much as you can. I mean, obviously, in as much as you're comfortable with it, with your health limits and health abilities. Um, but if you can go out, I would say go. It's a good time to go and see theater, for example. You can get, the, the, the downside of tourism being down is that these shows are struggling, some of them. The upside is that if you're a local New Yorker, you can get tickets a lot more yeah. easily and cheaper and better tickets. So this is, you know, this is a great time before all the tourism comes back, before everything is running at 100%. This is actually a really good time to get out and take advantage of everything that this amazing city has to offer. 
Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, before we go, please tell us where we can follow you on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Feldman Adam. That's Feldman just my Adam. name, but sort of with the last name <laughs> first. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the, that's, Twitter's probably the best place for me. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I got to follow you on Twitter. I feel like you got some fun stuff to say. Adam, it was so great seeing you. I know it's been a while. I hope Such to see you on Christopher Street or on another random night as we usually yeah, do. Yeah, I'm going to be back at the Duke. Come, come to Mondays on uh, Club Coming. You're going to have a great time. I think I'll stop by for sure. It yeah, was it's... great. It was great seeing you, Adam. It's so great seeing you. Really a pleasure. Um, Adam Feldman, stay tuned. We've got a lot more show. It's Redefine Radio on the Face Radio. I'm giving you an insider's look with my new novella, Starcatcher, a guide to surviving New York nightlife. Read about all the drama, the scandal, and most importantly, the truth about how promoters keep the party going through one hot Brooklyn summer. Starcatcher, a guide to surviving New York nightlife, is available now on Kindle and paperback. Yeah, yeah, Jack Knight in Dakota House. All we want to do is make it bounce. Monifa, could you turn me out? Show me what your thing is all about. Jack Knight in Dakota House. All you wanna do is make you bounce. Monifa, could you turn me out? Show me what your thing is all about.
I want to thank Adam Feldman for coming on the show today. Really, really, really insightful stuff about how theater and nightlife continue to collide and expand and contract and expand and contract in all new ways. He definitely schooled me on some things. And it was great to talk to someone who has known me from the beginning of my journey here in New York City 11 years ago, which is crazy. You can always find out more about me on my Instagram at Freddie Cosmo, Freddie with an IE Cosmo like the drink. And check out some more of my original tunes over at SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash freddy-cosmo. I'm on the Twitters. I like to have big fun at the Freddy Cosmo. Same spelling as well. And, of course, you can check me out over at the Thought Light Podcast, which is now streaming on major platforms, namely Spotify. We've got some really, really cool guests coming up, and that's me and Jim Silvestri. Every Monday at noon... We debut a brand new episode, and that's going to be over on Spotify for now for all your listening needs, soon to come to Apple Music and all of the other platforms as well. So stay cool out there, everyone. We're back brand new next week with some new music. I think we're going to have a special guest next week. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the, uh, I haven't looked at my, my, my schedule. (laughs) Either way, tune in for loads and loads of fun. You can check out past episodes in the archives over on thefaceradio.com for more information and more exclusive interviews with Nightlife Elite here in New York. For now, we're signing off. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Freddie Cosmo, the Disco Prince of New York. Thanks so much for tuning in.
shine. 